0: Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. Well, welcome to the podcast today. My name is Andrew Easton uh, and I am the new digital, uh, I don't even have my title down here yet, (laughs) digital learning coordinator for the ESUCC here in Nebraska, and uh, I'm kind of getting acclimated to this new role, and part of doing so has just been the opportunity to visit with a number of people from across the state doing great work in their respective ESUs, and so I have uh, with us today Otis Pierce, who's going to um, kind of be my inaugural podcast uh, for the, for this podcast show, and so looking forward to um, talking with him a little bit. We are in the middle, just for context, because I'm not sure when this is going to air, of the uh, stay-at-home COVID-19 crisis. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about everything from remote learning to um, what the ESUs kind of statewide are invested in and what they're doing to address it. But before we get into any of those things, Otis, you want to give us a little kind of introduction? Welcome to the pod today. And I'm excited for our conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Andrew. You know, it's kind of neat being the, the first one at some hey. you know, kind, of, <laughs> kind of that guinea pig, like it can only get better from here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're good we're
0: good this is no this is the kickstarter this is we're it's going to be a great one starting us off
1: yeah um I am just entering well I have just started my 21st year in education uh, my first 13 years I was a 712 math teacher out in Sutherland Nebraska I started halfway through a school year uh, so that was kind of an interesting interesting piece with that Uh, And then I've been here in Columbus at ESU 7 for eight years. I'll be starting my ninth year here in June. Um, I started out as a technology integration coordinator and have kind of developed in over into a professional development coordinator, but mostly in charge of tech integration. Uh, Do a little bit of this, a little bit of that uh, around the service unit as, you know, as all teachers know the other duties as assigned, uh, but, but it's great work in that time. I have become a Google education trainer, certified Google education trainer. I've been a part of the Blend Ed pilot and cohorts uh, kind of from the beginning. Uh, Beth Cubish, who kind of got that started and, and was in your position uh, and just retired, um, she and I actually shared an office for several years. So I've kind of been on the ground floor of the Blend Ed piece and, and seen it grow from its infancy across uh, the state uh, and get to where it is you know, and, and creating all these videos, like you said, during this COVID-19 time, just trying to get a whole lot of teachers as much information as possible that's manageable for them so that they aren't overwhelmed, because they're overwhelmed enough with this, and I think you coined it in a, in a previous meeting we had been in, emergency remote learning Yeah, uh, is kind of what they're in right now, and and trying to help them navigate that and, and prepare for the last couple weeks, and and if this were to happen again, prepare them for, for, for the future.
0: Right. It's, uh, it's just such an interesting time with uh, kind of back. And that is sort of the way that I've, I've gone about thinking this is that it's not necessarily online learning as we've all come to sort of understand that it's emergency remote learning and they're, they're very different. And I would applaud any and all of our educators as they've, you know, made taken significant strides uh, to be able to, Um, move their practices into those spaces and to grow uh, really without the traditional means we'll say of support (laughs) I think that there is support out there but it's certainly taken some uh, some nuanced avenues and some different direction to to try to access and find those and see what works and um, but but we're doing it and I've been really with my own kids for example I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and it, my son's teacher still, both of them really are rolling out seven assignments a day with some may do's in addition to that, they're making sure that there's instructional pieces to go with it, uh, facilitating that all through a Google site, which my daughter's teacher had never even been on prior to, <laughs> to this time. And my heart particularly goes out to our elementary teachers as they are, again, creating six, seven things every day where I know even at the secondary level, it's a challenge to just get one. Um, but uh, what do you, so it's kind of, so we're on that conversation right now, right? So remote yeah. learning, what are some things that you've seen um, that maybe have been helpful uh, to educators in honing their craft in that space? Because at this point in time, it's not like we're necessarily loading things and getting our workflow figured out. I feel like most people have kind of gotten over that hurdle and now we're getting into how do we get better? Um, and so do you have anything that you would recommend or, or think, uh, have found helpful? Yeah, as great strategies to share potentially.
1: Yeah, that that's actually something we're working on here at issue seven right now. Is kind of some of those suggestions, recommendations. Um, another PD coordinator, Brooke Cavan, and I are kind of looking at that possibility and looking at pros and cons of many different types of resources for teachers and for schools as well. And I, I, you know, when you talk about remote and online learning, it's it is how do you get that content to students? And obviously, at at the younger grades, say kindergarten. Pre- Preschool, kindergarten, first grade, maybe even into second grade, it's tough um, to do some of that and and do some of those things because they are very hands-on, social learning-type situations that are tough to do when you maybe only have 10, 15 minutes with them on Zoom, but you have all those kids that are also all wanting to talk. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the things we're seeing in some schools, I know in our unit, and and maybe around the state as well, and and I know others around the state are probably working with this as well, is... Is there a common online delivery platform because we have some schools that one teacher a student may be using maybe using Google classroom another one may be using canvas you know another one may be using blend space so they're having to get into four or five different things just to receive their content uh, not only does that make that hard for students that makes it hard for parents uh, it also makes hard for parents who you know, unlike you and I who are able to work from home and, and help our children with that education. Those parents that actually have to go outside the home to work then have to come back and, and do all that on top of it that may not have those skills or, or those abilities to help those students in some way. Uh, finding some of those common things that you can use, not only school-wide, but possibly district-wide. Uh, so it's common. I think we have some schools figuring that out. We have a, all of our schools are, are on Zoom. I think, which helps for some of the connection pieces, Uh, but you still have internet connectivity, um, device connectivity. Do they have the right amount of devices? Um, I was just listening to another podcast earlier today talking with a school down in Oklahoma where 30 to 40% of their student population does not have internet access. Uh, And trying to do some of that remote learning is is a little bit tough. I, I do think we're better off Some of our places are better off here in Nebraska. Uh, But there's still, that's the reality. There is no access to some of these things. So these teachers are having to kind of juggle that and find that balance of what is the good amount of online things that also is good amount of offline that's going to keep pushing them forward and and learning and what they're wanting to learn and what you're needing them to learn to be ready for that next grade, that next class, that, that college experience for those seniors that are... Now done with their senior year, basically, uh, without some of those senior year things that they usually get to take part in.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, you, you bring up the idea of them like this preparation piece for what's next, and I that that's been where my heart has been at. Really, after after about the first week, <laughs> I uh, there are so many challenges and adverse uh, circumstances to. Uh, in an equitable way, making sure that, that students are learning during this time. And, and I, I get overwhelmed thinking about that Some at, at points to the degree where I, I almost, my mind moves to, well, when we get back, what can we do? Because I, there are just some situations that are completely out, out of my control. I was talking with someone in, uh, on the western portion of the state, uh, it was just yesterday, I think, talking about how 40 miles away, is. I think it was Julie Downing. There are some learners who yeah are forty miles away from their school living on a ranch, <laughs> and uh, even if you go to packets, just even tracking that down becomes a tremendous mm-hmm. tremendous effort um, when you consider that 's one house that 's 40, 40 miles away and not yeah. you know trying to access these others and and so my, my thoughts tend to to drift towards what does it look like when we get back and and you 're right you 're going to have some students who haven 't done anything academic for six to eight months. There There's a recent NPR article that talked about a survey from Common Sense Media, to get all my citations right here, <laughs> that uh, said that four out of 10 students are just not doing anything uh, mm-hmm. and haven't accessed it in, you know, up to that point. So of the 60% that are, there is disparity in there for all the reasons that you're talking about, whether they have a parent at home to support or not. And uh, mm-hmm. do you have internet access? Do you have devices? Do you have responsibilities where you're trying to take care of younger siblings <laughs> while your parents are at home <laughs> working? Uh, and all this stuff just is going to equate to quite a quite a gap with regards to achievement yeah. and at, on top of that too, though, I think you have some learners that are really figuring out how to work asynchronously and who are understanding um, how to how to function and what resources they need to be successful, uh, and they 're going to go back into the classroom equipped to be able to do things on their own <laughs> and so I, I believe there 's going to be an achievement gap plus an agency, if we want to call it that gap, that are both going to take some pre-assessments um, and some, some utilization of that to an extended degree than we're probably even accustomed to mm-hmm. uh, when we get back. And uh, so I think there's challenges both in the immediate and um, ones that are becoming clear in the distance <laughs> uh, that, are, that are worth our, our time. And not to overwhelm, but I, I think just worth really starting to think deeply about and being intentional on in how we want to go about addressing that moving forward.
1: Yeah, and I think that you kind of hit a point there, too, is is the students that aren't doing it. It's those, those expectations. Schools are also wondering, what are those expectations? And they didn't know what those expectations needed to be for, for this situation. And having that in place, not only expectations for students, but expectations for learning. Mm-hmm. Um, how much time are we expecting kids to do each day in this type of situation? because it is different. It's not a 8 to 3.30 type thing that, you know, parents can't do that, students can't do that. They got to have those pieces in there. Uh, How many assignments do we give them each day? You know, do we give them a full seven assignments that's going to take them six hours to do? Or do we give them three or four that's maybe going to take them an hour total each day? Uh, Or the secondary, middle school, high school level, how do you run a class schedule um, that's there because who knows, we may be back in school in the fall, you know, and and things are running as normal air quotes uh, as, as you can be. But then what if this were to pop up again, and then there's a flare up in the end of September, first part of October, and you have to go back to this and you're thinking, oh, I'm teaching normal, you know, so you don't know if or when it's going to happen again. But you want to be prepared with some of those things. So if and when it happens, mm-hmm. it's not that, oh, crap, what do we do? It's, okay, I got this, let's go. And right. and learning continues, and you're not doing enrichment for three out of four quarters mm-hmm. uh, and, and pushing them forward if, if that were to happen. So th- there's, a, there's a lot in it. Um, I think this whole thing is going to do a couple of things. One, I think it's going to improve teachers' abilities to teach, not only in their classroom but obviously in the online e-learning setting. So sure, kind of like
0: their like uh, tech capacity, almost.
1: Yeah, their tech capacity. On
0: floor for sure.
1: Yeah, and two, I think this is also going to raise student agency and mm-hmm. and student pieces of this as well, and and their drive to be able to take control of their own learning because that was a comment we we did a survey of of principals i think it came for the principal one that said the students are starting to take some agency in their own learning i see that in my son you know to him sitting down and doing some things the first week was a little rough because he didn't really have a schedule but now he's got a schedule he's doing that himself i think some kids are going to take some of that but you're also going to have those just like anything else that you're going to have those kids in class that aren't going to want to do much, but it's having those is it kind of to bring it back full circle is setting those guidelines and expectations right from the beginning. All right, kids, here's where it is. It's almost like setting rules and procedures at the beginning of school year in your classroom. Right. It's the same type of thing uh, here. So I think there's going to be some good come out of this. People may not think that right now, but I also think a, a third thing is people are realizing how hard teachers really do work. <laughs> it's not a not not a you know I teach because of June July and August uh, <laughs> type thing. We, we do a little bit more than just you know we're a little more than nine months workers we we do work hard to and and care for the kids I think that's opening some more people's eyes up maybe even a little bit wider than it was before
0: um i think to your final point there i saw something at one point in time where uh, a teacher had just recorded their outside of the school hours hours um and then just for a year and told it up and it's was somewhere i want to say between 13 and a half and 14 months worth of work but then so that extra uh what is that four four and a half um the from the time the school year is over we're all sort of crammed back into that initial eight or nine and so yeah it's uh uh, it has been so impressive uh, to see the way in which people have just risen to the challenge and represented our our profession well, and done so in the best interest of kids, right? Because their hearts in it, and it's been a lot of work, uh, ongoing. And um, oh, I get like choked up just talking about it. <laughs>
1: well, and, it, and it's tough for some teachers too because they care about their kids, and they're not going to really have any closure on the year, right? And if you have teachers that are either a retiring, b leaving districts and going to another, they're not going to have closure either in those districts. So that's Mm -hmm. also tough for them because they care about care about those. You know, especially, you know, I remember how hard it was for me to leave Sutherland after 13 years to come to the ESU. Mm -hmm. And I had and I was able to get closure there. I can't imagine for somebody that's been in a district 10, 15 years and doesn't get that, how tough that's got to be too so but it's not only closure on the teachers part it's closures on the students parts too mm-hmm. you know they still may get to go see them and, and see their previous year's teachers of course unless they po- possibly change buildings yeah. uh, you know so there may be a small sense of closure but there's really not gosh
0: those comments just uh, hit home for me. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving an assignment in West Side where I taught seniors this past year half time, and then worked in teacher support K-12 the rest mm-hmm. of it and uh, and you're right. The, here we are in a day in March. Um, I actually had um, a really nice conversation that last day because we sort of assumed we'd be out for maybe a couple of weeks and um, that is a learner population that will probably not enter the building again and I am not mm-hmm. going to be back there and it does sort of Uh, leave things very open-ended and and unfinished in a way that uh, just isn't, isn't gratifying, (laughs) I would say. Um, And so I think you bring up a a really good point. That is the reality that a lot of people are, uh, are facing. And and I think to go alongside that too, from an emotional standpoint, uh, I do teachers get into this profession, not because of the pay, but because of the like purpose behind their work. They are passionate and find meaning in serving other people. Um, And I think that this is a particularly emotional time for educators because though we still have that, it's not in a way that is, um, we can't talk to that student, you know, Mm -hmm. in person and have those kind of feel good moments and sense of, of true purpose. When you see the light come on, (laughs) those little rewarding pieces that drive us um, are maybe happening still or likely happening still, but just, at somebody's kitchen table where you don't see it. And uh I think that it's hard um uh, for us emotionally to navigate those spaces when that's not a po- like it, it is such a constant part of what drives us and it's not there uh in supply uh, in anywhere near the amount as it as it typically
1: is. Makes sense you see what we're going yeah, on? Yeah it does. You know, my parents were both teachers uh in Wyoming. And when I said I was going to become a teacher, they said I didn't learn much. Uh <laughs> you know, but like you said, I didn't get into it for the money. I do. Knew- you know, I was in it to to make a difference. Yeah. And sometimes that make a difference isn't until you see a student, and and I've had a couple of these experiences where you see a student maybe three four years after they graduate, and they say, "Hey, Mr. Pierce, you were right. You know, thank you for for doing what you did. And here's what I'm doing now." And seeing them succeeding and coming back and saying, "Hey, thanks for pushing me," or "You were right with some of the things they were doing." You kind of see that. And, it's almost a delayed gratification yeah. in a way. Uh, but when you see that, that makes that feel so much better, uh, down the road when you see kids down the road doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think even, you know, there, there's talks of the teacher parades that have gone on through elementary neighborhoods and at other schools that, um, kind of tap back into that. Right. I, uh, on a very personal level, and then we'll talk ESU stuff here in a second, but it, Um, I have a senior student who is on the autism spectrum and I've been working on some kind of one-on-one supports with him and it is such a joy to me when he, he about once a week will send me an email of songs I should add to my COVID playlist or (laughs) of memes that he just thought would brighten my day or, and when I get, when I get that message, (laughs) I don't even have to know what the email is about. Um, it just, uh a smile comes to my face and, and I miss seeing him um, and being able to invest in that relationship. And, and it's things that that's how his senior year is going to end. Yeah. And, uh, Oh gosh, I did not expect Otis. That I would be like, I'm peering up here talking to you. Otis, but and of course,
1: not- I was the one that brought this up. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> would edit that part out. But, um, but no, it is, it is, um, I think to ignore the react, like we can talk all we want about, uh, and I, and I love doing it about the instructional portion of all this and, and mm-hmm. tech and everything, but there's a heart to it that, that I, I, think we're all, that is hurting because of, of this, that I, it's, it's, it's a discussion that we need to have more.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that was one of the, one of the things that I really liked about coming to, and ESU as well, kind of to circle this around. Love what year. you're doing here. That's a nice little transition. Uh, yeah. Keep it going. This uh, is where we're going next. That'll be good. You know, in Sutherland, I was able to teach roughly 100 kids a year and, and really have an effect on them for, for a year, 100 kids a year. Now I look at it in ESU and ESU 7, I can affect 13,000 kids a year. You know, so I've more than 13 times, you know, what I was able to do. So being able to do this and support teachers here, and and it's the same at every ESU, you know, maybe a different amount of schools, different amount of kids. We get to do some of those things that school teachers might not be able to. And we get to bring that back to them to support them in times like this, not only from the tech integration side, but the professional development side. You know, if you look at some of the Hattie things and the Marzano's and the Danielson's, to the special education, to the tech infrastructure to grant support uh, for schools. Um, you know, we, we really do a lot to help our schools out and a lot of small schools, you know, uh, kind of going back to Julie Downing and, and I went to school at Shadron State and know that area well for traveling back to Wyoming. If you wanna look at Stu County in Harrison, Nebraska, a county school that's maybe 100 kids total K-12, They can't afford to hire a professional development person for an entire year so that those smaller schools really do rely on ESUs to help fill some of those. They may not need a full-time special education speech language pathologist. So the ESU can help provide that. So a lot of our smaller schools really rely on us for some things that they would only need maybe two or three hours of. That cuts the costs for them. You know, so it's, it's not just the PD, the tech, the distance learning, um, it's special education. We have a production department at issue 7 that does copies at fractions of the cost that you could go to the UPS store to go and do it. And, and maybe even do it themselves. Uh, and some of the volume that we do. As a matter of fact, I think we were just over 12 million copies last year oh, in our wow. production department. So we support all of our schools, class A to class D. In some form or fashion. So that's good. You know, helping schools is what we're here for. And it's nice whenever I get asked, what's your typical day? I ask back, what do you consider typical? Because it's different every single day. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things I enjoy. I'm not bound by a bell, uh, which was hard to get used to. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I I like being out. I I love to travel since I was younger. So being able to go around the service unit is great. I, I, we enjoy, even though it's our busiest time of the year, those opening days of school we will go from one side of the service unit to the other. I know a couple of years ago, I started on the East side of the service unit and that evening I ended clear on the West side, two hours away. Uh, you know, so yeah, it, it makes it fun. And, and some of the things that we, we get to go do to bring back to our schools, uh, is really cool too. Well, and
0: I, Thank you, because that's a part of what I was hoping to get, and I, you did it beautifully there, was just to start, um, I want to share these stories through this podcast and this show, because there are some amazing resources that I think people don't realize are even available. Um, there are some, and when I say resources, I, I guess that is a service, yes, but it's the people <laughs> it's, it's people like Otis Pierce who can come to your school and help. And, and so like access these individuals and, and reach out. And even if you aren't really sure, uh, that don't have a need that is so pressing that you're, you know, seeking, like just, just making sure that you're in constant contact where you're able to say, Hey, what are you guys doing over there that, that might be able to serve some of our students, help us serve our students, even just a, a little bit better and more efficiently or with some more innovative practices or, Think is is essential, and um, as we kind of land this conversation, it's crazy how fast a half hour goes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, goes well, really and, quick. Um,
1: At that point, Andrew, you know, when you're taking the services and asking and stuff, it's we try and find a way to say yes. Yeah, so, within our service plan, we try and find a way to say yes, and and that's the key is trying to find a way to support our schools in the best way possible, as efficiently as possible. Um, you know, I, I'm in a great position, uh, in what I do because not being in the classroom, I miss kids. I miss the kids a lot, but in my position, I go out and get what I call my kid fix. And mm-hmm. I get to turn around and leave and not have to deal with anything else. <laughs> so, you know, I go out and do digital citizenship presentations. I go out and help with tech stuff. Um, yeah. I go out and do the blended learning thing. Uh, so I go, I can go out and get my kid fixed and I get to turn around and leave and, go maybe to another school 20 miles down the road and get to do it all over again. Yeah. Um, you know, and find a way to say yes, to, to, to fit those in for those schools. Yes. There's so much of me, but my, and my calendar fills up. I, I mean, my calendars, well, as of right now kind of full for uh 2021 school year already. Cause we do our planning, we do our planning the end of February first part of March for that. So yeah, yeah it's, Things come up, we know we move those, we move around where we can, and and we go and we do it.
0: Well, and uh, I think this is why we're this is why we're having the, the inaugural conversation together, Otis, is that mm-hmm. we're on the same page here. This is like step yeah. by step. That I think it's important to sort of like underscore that there are services that ESU provides. It is also the people as resources that are there that are certainly worth reaching out to, and mm-hmm. that those people and these services can flex and consistently look to do so to meet needs that they don't currently address that are responsive to the districts that they serve. And I'll kind of put a bow on things to say that I know that's where our digital age pedagogy initiative is currently at. Um, There's been several years uh, of work put into trying to come up with kind of blended best practices, whatever you want to call it, to kind of help teachers enter into that blended space and now really looking to sort of simplify that down to almost an individual lesson and say, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to work remotely, what kind of pieces do teachers need to think about and and to sort of almost develop a lesson to lesson template. So there is some consistency, some, I don't want to call it uniformity, because we still want to empower teachers to have the autonomy to make things their own, but, but it helps when I'll, I'll just give a quick example I I know that at the secondary level in particular that there have been a number of instances where students are given content and they're given an assessment and the whole instruction and even some of that like strategies for processing that information piece is kind of lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in an uh, emergency remote, we're going full circle here. <laughs> in an emergency remote learning opportunity. Um, we're doing the best we can, and, and we're, we're we're functioning in those spaces. But as we increase our intentionality, look into the fall in the potential, but like moving into those spaces again, whether it's at the beginning or as you mentioned earlier, periodically, uh, like the ESUs are doing what they can to to set up supports in that space and being responsive uh, mm-hmm. to to the current needs and. Um, that's why the work that we're doing is just I'm passionate about it. I'm so excited to be a part of, of uh, the great things that are going on statewide through our ESUs.
1: Yeah, we all do great things. And, it you know, it's one of those that we may not be an expert in something, but it's like, oh, you're wanting that. I know who I can ask. I can ask Samantha Pavelka at ESU 16 because she knows something like this. Or mm-hmm. I can ask, oh, I know Julie Downing at, out at ESU 13 does something like that. Or Robbie Jensen at ESU th- three or you know we know these people that oh I can reach out to this person to help me to do this to yeah. to get them some answers so I'm not recreating the wheel and having to try and figure it out myself you know because it's the the world's out there you know I'm not the smartest person in the room but I do know where to go if I don't know the answer <laughs> it may take me a little bit to find it but I will find it
0: uh, and that's that's a PLN at work right there you know mm-hmm. and that's uh that's the value of those and that's the value of reaching out and trying to broaden yeah that that source that you pull from if you don't have the answer in your PLN or in your immediate you know building find those people that that kind of do and and um, folks that are looking to leverage those to help teachers um, through our ESUs across the state uh, it's just that's phenomenal stuff so yeah uh, Otis we did it
1: hey Inagural, we're there.
0: inaugural podcast mark number one off <laughs> <laughs> uh thank you so much for taking some time uh in a busy day you're gonna go help your son
1: yeah we're probably gonna have some lunch and uh i got some other meetings coming up here this afternoon and (laughs) see how he's doing and lunch and relax a little bit and then back at it
0: same thing on the home front here um remote learning and uh and teaching from home and and all these great things so thanks for tuning in to our first episode today we're going to be back uh coming up with a, a number of different stories from across nebraska um with some of the work that's being done uh and so look forward to sharing that with uh, you guys here in the future once more again thank you so much otis
1: yep thanks for having me andrew
0: yeah and uh, we'll catch up there everybody soon